Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the RHA Podcast. Great to be with you today, and my guest is Susie Lightfoot. And uh, Susie is a fairly well-known person in the Brisbane environment, but uh, perhaps you don't know her. Uh, amazing career. She started her early life uh, as a professional athlete and actually got to Australian level championship quality in uh, the 10-meter diving uh, competitions. Uh, she had an injury. From there, she moved into being a model. She married a very well-known uh, Australian fashion designer named Daniel Lightfoot. People may know him. And uh, so she was involved in modeling and that took her into having her own um, uh, marketing communications business where she was doing a lot of work with a, a variety of different types of businesses and then she moved into the digital space and then she became an artist and now for the last few years she's been working in personal branding particularly in relation to professional women really fascinating conversation you know obviously somebody who has had so many different iterations in their career along the way they learned some great lessons and Susie was really able to articulate those in this uh, discussion. And we talked about a few things. We talked about the Me Too movement. Obviously, that's uh, very relevant to the work that Susie's been doing. We talked about this idea of female leaders leading with kindness, which is something that I'd not heard of as an expression before, but immediately resonated with me. And we talked about you know, how women can become more empowered in developing their careers uh, through really reviewing their life, their stories, their lessons and becoming very clear on their values, where they want to go and sharing that with other people. And even though you know, Susie's orientation is towards women in terms of her work, everything that she speaks about is equally relevant to men. And so I think this is a great conversation for everybody to have a listen to. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Susie Lightfoot. Well, hi, Susie. Welcome to the Arate Podcast. Hi, Richard. Thank you. What is a very warm, sunny day, and uh, I think we've had a couple of attempts to get this going, so <laughs> thanks for uh, being patient. I think that uh, you've just returned from overseas. I have. A trip to Italy. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And what was happening in Italy? A lot, actually. My brother is a journalist. Um, he works for Reuters, so he is based, actually, he's the um, editor for Reuters over there for right. um, Europe. So he's based in Milan. So my partner and I and my daughter um, trekked off over to, to crash in his apartment and uh, explore the sites of Milan. And you stayed there the whole time? We did a side trip to Bellagio, but it rained constantly for three days. So that was, that was a bit disappointing, but it was still very beautiful. And then we went and did a cycling day at Parma, okay. which was amazing. Right. And I fell off. <laughs> but I can't actually cycle, so it's highly embarrassing. So here's the tip. Don't use your mobile phone. Try and take photos when you're going downhill. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's probably a good tip. And uh, I no doubt you checked out all the fashion while you were there. Yeah, uh, we did a lot of shopping. Right. Um, and this, this year was really great because um, I did have the intention to do a bit of shopping. In Milan itself, 
I'm really always astounded because I've got the fashion background. Mm. I'm expecting all these amazing models to be walking the streets and designers and right. it to be very sort of elite in that area. But most people are very um, down to earth in terms of what they're dressing. They just wear bubble jackets and, you know, just like we do here. So right. I kind of scratch my head a little bit and sort of wonder, you know, I'm missing out on that fashion um, sort of essence of Milan, but I don't know where to find that. I've had a couple of trips there and um the street fashion is just like here every day right yeah i um do you think that that's more it's a historical reference you know back in the day if you went to paris or you know you went to italy people were uh you know they had greater fashion opportunity than perhaps somewhere as far removed as australia but now with the ability to buy anything online and and so on and so forth it, it's evened out I do find that, um, mostly for women's fashion. I think they're, particularly in Australia, there is so much that available to us for overseas brands and they're really at our fingertips. For men, however, it is a little bit different. I think um, fashion here in Australia is very limited for the gents. And when you go overseas to the likes of Europe and London and those types of places, it's a smorgasbord. There's right. just so much fashion for mm, men okay um which we really don't have so what's here. the main difference i think there's a lot more uh just variety mm-hmm. um a lot more suiting um a lot more shoes just everything um we just get a select sort of um selection of fashion here for men and it becomes quite boring yep i mean men sort of do tend to dress, <laughs> you know, a check shirt yeah, and, the, yeah. and the blue. And um, I feel that overseas, particularly in Europe and London and those types of places, because it's a colder climate, you can layer up and you can wear scarves and you can accessorise. Right. You can wear jackets and then you can layer on a trench or something like that. So um, for men, there is much more variety and it's sure. really fun. I love dressing my partner and taking, um, you know, try this, try that. It's actually really enjoyable. Yes, I'm very, uh, I feel lucky to be a man and get to be really lazy (laughs) and uh, alternate between my navy suit and my grey suit. But uh, my big fashion extravaganza is happy socks. Fantastic, yeah. A good sock, I like a good sock. (laughs) Absolutely. Excellent. Well, look, Susie, uh, let's start with just telling us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now professionally. So my journey has taken me a long way since the early days when I started off as an athlete. So I'm in my 50s now and about two years ago I was working in digital marketing for a company in Brisbane and I decided that after my daughter had left school, high school, and and started to go and study law down at Bond University, I sort of got my life back. I'd spent many years as a single parent Mm -hmm. and working sort of you know, with my own business, but then further in my career, I actually got a real job. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, I decided that it was my time and that I would quit my job at 50. And I had no idea what I was going to do. But having that time to step away, to really um, look back on who I was now after my daughter had left who I'd become, what I was really great at and where my passions lie, led me to come into this business of personal branding. Mm -hmm. So now my niche market is to help other professional women just like me who may have been through the similar journeys in life where they have the experience, the expertise and the know-how, but they just 
don't know how to elevate themselves to that ne- next level and mm-hmm. really find the confidence to do what they want to do in life. Mm-hmm. And so what sort of clients do you work with? I work with all sorts of clients. My niche market, as, as I said, is women, professional women. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I can work with um, women in IT, in particularly in male-dominated industries. I seem to have a bit of a niche that resonates with women there because mm-hmm. they, in particular, working in male-dominated industries, feel that they don't have their voice. Even though they are successful and being... Um, they do have the recognition and they are... Um, getting the acknowledgement Mm. but there's an ingredient that women have that holds us back Mm -hmm. and no matter how successful you are in fact I always go back to the story um, about Peter Credlin when I met her at a keynote that she was delivering after she'd um, finished her position with Tony Abbott and she was talking about how she had the seat at the table for those years underneath him as his chief of staff Yet she allowed someone, when she walked into that room, to take that seat at the table. It was all seats in hierarchy, so everyone had their own position mm-hmm. according to their, uh, who, you know, their title. That she allowed a man to sit in that seat it was a bit of a power play, and she allowed a man to sit in that seat at the table because she didn't have the courage, or she didn't want to take on the fight to actually ask him and say, "Well, excuse me, that's actually my seat." Mm-hmm. So for five years, she let that slide, and I think. As women, we truly underestimate um, our value sometimes and and hold ourselves back. We have a bit of an imposter syndrome. So no matter how successful we get to, quite often we're holding ourselves back. Mm. And so I guess the clients I work with, there's a familiar theme. They're successful women. A lot of the time they want to do more. They dream for more. They're, they're ready. They, they've done the hard yards. They have the experience, the expertise, one thing holds them back and that's themselves Mm. and gaining that confidence Mm. to actually put themselves forward Mm. to achieve greater success and just to be the best that they can be yeah i think that's very true and uh uh, i've spoken about this before at the podcast um on the podcast a couple of years ago i was at the brisbane club of which we're both members and uh uh there was a gender diversity debate which was being run by um uh mcdonald uh What's her first name? Sonia McDonald. Sonia McDonald, yes. Yeah, and so Sonia McDonald, uh, there were about 100 women in the room and about five guys, including me, and uh, they had a panel, a couple of male CEOs and a female CEO, and uh, talking about gender diversity, and all these women were, oh, you know, we're denied opportunities, and blah, 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 blah. And um, I thought to myself, because as an executive recruiter, I... uh, obviously am uh, engaged to recruit for very, very senior roles. And I would say in at least 98%, 98% of cases, an organisation says, we'd love a woman. We really want women on the shortlist and we would really love to have a female in this role. We want more diversity, etc. So what I did was I went back and I looked uh, in the prior month we'd recruited four C-level roles, CEO, CFO, COO, etc., Three out of the four were in the not-for-profit area. And across the four roles, there were 800 unique applicants. In every instance, they had said, we would prefer a female. Out of the 800 applicants, what percentage do you think were women? Probably about 10. Seven. Seven percent. Yeah. So, you know, it really showed to me that 
it's not that organisations are denying women the opportunity. In fact, in more often cases, they're uh, uh, excited and encouraging of females, but women tend to, you know, not apply for a role. Uh, if they look at a role and there are 10 attributes required and they've got seven, they say, I can't do it. If a man looks at it and there's 10 and he's got three, he thinks, I've got the best, you know, I'm the best Absolutely. candidate for the job. And I obviously realise that that's a generalisation. Uh, but it, in my own experience, that is uh, extremely true. Um, and very much reflects what you're saying. Absolutely. And the fact there are facts that do actually support that argument, but I think we do often get caught up in the debate of the male-female uh, leadership struggle. And I do believe that we sometimes put that on ourselves. And some of the women that I do work with struggle with leadership roles because they lead with kindness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's quite current at the moment, which really annoys me, is I don't know if you watch... Um, House of Cards. Uh, I haven't watched the latest okay. season. Okay, so Frank has has died, and oh, he died, his did wife. He? I yeah, they <laughs> killed him off. We haven't seen how, but he just right. miraculously died. Um, and his wife is now the president of the United States. And I started to watch with great anticipation this new new version of yeah. the show, and I thought this is going to be great. She's in control. She's the president. And I watched the first couple of episodes and I just was so disappointed that the show is showing this woman as such a one-dimensional character right? and that she needs to be this ball breaker and a complete and utter, excuse the language, but she needs to be a bitch, right. do you know? So they're showing this character mm. of leadership as a woman, whereas the other character, Frank, was... Very diverse mm. and had and was multifaceted. Yeah, and, and yet you know, show. as somebody who's watched all of it up to this season, I mean, she's always been that way. That character, um, it's and worse. It's the worst, right? It, okay. It's worse, and that disappoints me. There's mm. a lot of women out there that feel that that, and I know it's only a television show, but it is, a lot of television shows are reflective of the current environment. And vice versa. Yes. Life imitates art. That's right. Yeah. And so I feel that that's really doing a disservice to women leaders mm. on one hand and also the women that I work with that do lead with kindness often struggle because they are great leaders mm. but they have a different style so mm. it's learning how to interpret those styles that give you the strength as a woman mm. and then being able to elevate those strengths and mm. then learn to articulate clearly what that value mm. is it's interesting i've not heard that expression you know leading with kindness before is that your expression or is that something in the common vernacular now it is a new thing that's coming through right and i find that it's really on point for the way mm. the culture at the moment is going in the workplace with the hash me too the whole movement having um champions for women even men men championing mm. championing women yeah. um, and i feel that there's so much out there about women leaders mm. that it needs to be acknowledged that women can be leaders mm. and lead also with not necessarily from emotion but lead from their truth mm. and be respected for that mm. but the trick is most women don't know how to articulate that mm. They will say nothing at the table rather than being able to clearly articulate what it is 
that they can bring to that discussion mm. or what it is that sets them apart what is it that makes them unique why are they a good leader mm. and not shying away from it yeah i mean we're going off on a tangent here but do you think that the me too movement is uh assisting females in a business professional context i mean it's um obviously been largely coming out of uh the arts world uh, in particular you know hollywood and so on and so forth but from a business context what are you seeing is happening as a result of the Me Too movement getting so much attention? It's an interesting topic because I believe that, and I've been in a situation, in a work situation, where I've been bullied and had sexual harassment in the mm. workplace. And coming from that position, I'm a really strong woman. And I would never describe myself as someone who, you know doesn't stand up for herself however it's very difficult when you're in those environments because what happens is it's it it chips away at your self-belief yeah so even though you are a strong person really what happens is is that you actually become less confident mm -hmm. less believing in yourself less of believing of your value less believing of your ability in those situations because you're getting the knocks every day and you feel like you have to put up with it mm. A lot of people say, you don't have to put up with it, you can walk away. It's not everybody's case scenario. In my situation, I was a single parent, mm -hmm. a single mum, and I needed a job, full-time mm. job. Mm. I, that's why I stopped my own business when the GFC hit, um, and I basically went and got myself a real job to put my um, daughter through private school and so forth. So for me, I felt like I had no choice. And of course, we always have a choice. But I had put that limitation on myself because my mindset was such that I had to stay in that position. And the more I stayed there, the more I deteriorated. Mm. So then your power, you lose your power more. So I can understand how that happens in environments. But my biggest advice, having come through that, is to realize that you can't necessarily change the circumstance but you can change your choices and the way you react to mm. those choices. Because had I had stood up for myself without fear of recourse, then it probably would have not have grown. Mm. I, put, I put up with it for a good three years mm. before I decided no more. Yeah, yeah, look, I understand. I suppose my question is more around if you look at Hollywood and there are very significant, very powerful women now, the Oprah Winfrey's and, you know, the, uh, the actresses that have come out and so on. But in the context of business, which is still, like it or not, a very dominated, male-dominated environment, do you think that bringing so much attention to Me Too is giving the men in those senior leadership roles, the men on boards and the CEOs, um, a context to want to be more encouraging of... Um, of promoting women or do you think that it's engendering potentially some fear? I think both. Yeah. I think both. One of the, one of the interesting things at the moment is the Tattlesalls Club uh, is thinking about having women members. Yeah, I think the, the vote's very recently. Has it yes, happened yet? Yes, yes. Well, they had a vote and um, I don't think many of the members actually voted. But it... But it brings up I think the jury's still out right um, so what the favoring result? having having but my, my argument is 
why the reason behind it mm. getting back to the hash right. me too like what is it and when i was quizzing someone who's a member and had to do the vote i said well so what's the reason of having female members because you and i are both members of the brisbane club and they have an amazing culture there that's sure. inclusive of both and they've had that for nearly 20 years yeah just over 20 over 20 years, years. Yeah. and they said oh it's a financial decision I'm allowed to talk about this. And I said, well, to be quite honest, then why would I, why as a woman would I want to be part of that club? Because if you just want my money, like yeah. it's, it's, it's about the whole club atmosphere is about the inclusiveness and the culture that you build. Mm. If they're not willing to change the culture and they're just willing to take the money in order to survive as a club. Yeah. It's going to be quite controversial. Yeah. Look, for those people who aren't interested <laughs> and are wondering what we're talking about, uh, so uh, Tattersall's, there are three cl- uh, membership clubs for pe- people in Brisbane, the Queensland Club and Tattersall's Club, which are both men only, and the Brisbane Club, which is male and female. And uh, I think one of the issues for Tattersall's Club, and I don't want to speak for them, um, is that a lot of businesses have basically boycotted using the Tattersall Club for events and conferences and so on because of how it would be perceived as them using a men's only club. Which comes back to your point about does the hash to... Like, I think it's all entwined, even though it, one is about, um, you know, the sexual harassment, I think the whole thing then snowballs into other areas mm. about the inclusiveness of women and how they're treated and should we have them. But quite frankly, there's other female clubs out there that are female, that are female members only. But for me, it's about um, making the right choices around women in leadership and, and and for clubs and all those sorts of things and being driven by the values that you believe in, not driven by financial gain or any other thing. And I think even organisations who are bringing women in, it shouldn't be because there's the quota. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's great that there is the quota to sort of balance things out, but it's more complex than that. Yeah. It should be that you know, that that person is the right for that role. Mm. Well, let's come back and talk a bit more about this later because I'm really interested you know, you've had an amazing life. You've been through lots of different iterations and reinvented yourself a few times. So let's go back to where it all began. You know, where were you born? And tell us a little bit about, you know, mum and dad and brothers and sisters sure. and your early life. So I'm a Brizzy girl, born and bred. Right. I'm the youngest of six. Wow. And I Catholic have, family? No, no, Church of England. Okay. So I have four brothers and right. a sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mum and dad were both doctors. Okay. My mother's English. And my dad is Australian, and mm-hmm. they met at um, medical school in London. Okay. And came over to Australia when my mother was pregnant with um, twins. Was your dad from Brisbane? He was from Maryborough. Okay. Yes. Right. So, and he went to quite a few schools. He went to Southport and Churchy, um, and a school in Maryborough, I believe. Okay. So, all right. Yes. So, born in Brisbane. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and so tell us about you know, early life up to and just towards the end of school? So I was a tomboy by heart. So I was always in the backyard playing cricket with my brothers, riding the mini bike, And um, I was always quite athletic mm-hmm. from an early age. So I started as a gymnast from a very young age and a high jumper and a hurdler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then when I grew too tall at about 16, I represented Australia as a gymnast and then oh. I grew too tall. I would have thought being tall for high jumping and athletics would be good. For that, but not for gymnastics. Right. Yeah, you sort of have to be a little bit more okay. smaller and more agile. Right. Because I was starting to um, do the bars and so forth and hit the, you know, I was 
they couldn't put the bars up high enough. <laughs> and also the beam, I've got such big feet and it's only like, you know, four inches wide. So it was it became quite difficult to do sort of um, high performance activities and tricks on that. So I started, my mother suggested I do high diving. So I transitioned into the pool mm-hmm. and became a 10 metre platform diver mm-hmm. and ended up being accepted at, I think I was about 17 into the Australian Institute of Sport where I competed for Australia and um, went into the Pan Pacific Games and so forth as a, an elite diver for Australia. Okay. Yeah. And then you had an injury. I did. I had a very bad injury, actually, where I dislocated both my knees during mm-hmm. a freak training accident. And I basically, back then, there weren't any... I tore my cruciate ligament, anterior to cruciate ligament, completely in half. And back in those days, the operation wasn't as great as it is today they mm-hmm. actually cut your cut your knees wide open there was no arthroscopy back then mm-hmm. so i decided not to have the reconstruction and continue my training but what i found was that it was quite it kept sort of dislocating out and it wasn't very stable mm-hmm. so other things were happening in my life around that time i met a young designer called daniel lightfoot yes and he sort of whisked me into a completely different world of fashion and glamour mm-hmm. and parties and mischievous things. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to um, quit the quit the diving and went into a different a different realm, which was basically the fashion right. the fashion scene. And you became uh, very successful in that space. Uh, I did, yes. And became the the face and the voice of. Uh, some well-known uh, Australian iconic Meyer. brands. Yes, that's yeah. correct. What was that experience like? It was fantastic. And it's probably where I learned the value of building sort of a brand and reputation because I'd been doing modelling for quite some time prior to then and I was never the most beautiful person in the room. I was never the tallest. In fact, I was always lying about my height, saying that I was taller than I was. So I learned that in order to make connections and to get jobs back then, I would really um, make sure that I was connecting with the client, Mm -hmm. turning up on time, being helpful, connecting with them, networking with them, understanding what they needed from me. And so I kept getting bookings and I kept building that rapport with everybody from from the advertising agencies to the person who was the sound guy to the journalists who'd turn up to the photographers and over the years I built this amazing network Mm -hmm. um, of people that allowed me then to step into that zone of becoming a businesswoman and being able to leverage from those contacts Mm -hmm. so modeling was was amazing and what happened with Coles Meyer is that they identified with my values I started to have a voice and they identified, identified with who I was as a mother, mm-hmm. um, as a businesswoman, mm-hmm. and what I was doing. And so when that happens, you can become a brand ambassador because the alignment with the company's vision and values is similar to yours. And so mm-hmm. that's how I became became wrapped up with um, Coles Meyer, yeah. And, and how long was that for? That was a three-year contract. Okay. And then Westfield bought out, um, bought out the shopping centres that... I was the face and voice of being okay. term site and so right. forth. So, okay, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And if you think about that experience, what were sort of some of the highlights? Oh, everything. It was amazing. It was at a time, you know, when fashion was just... There was fashion parades every week. Um, there was a lot of money being spent on 
fashion and going to the races and a lot of sponsorship money around those sorts of areas. Um, I was writing for the local newspaper. I was emceeing events. I was on Channel 7 doing the Great South East. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, really exciting and challenging time for me because I, I learnt and grew so much. Mm. And, you know, it was just a wonderful time to be in that industry mm-hmm. around then. Okay, so what... Uh happened at the end of that other than the Westfield situation to lead you into your next career? Everything has been very organic with me and opportunities have always seemed to open up and I think that's through growing connections and and sharing. I think it's really important for people to share where they're going Mm -hmm. and what their dreams and ambitions are. Mm -hmm. A lot of people feel that it's not their place to say that and I think we have to stop sort of talking about our past um, exp- our past experience and competence in our, in our history, not stop talking about it, but in, in a CV sense, a lot of the time we talk about what we've done, but we don't talk about where we're headed. And our yep. CVs can sound a little bit like an obituary. Mm-hmm. People really are taken with where you are going. Mm-hmm. And, if we, and I always try to encourage people to start to talk about that to other people that they meet. Mm-hmm. And talk about where, what their visions and values are in case we can help them. And mm-hmm. I think that's how it has become one of the biggest assets in both my life and career mm-hmm. is to be able to utilise um, those networks and be able to share and engage mm-hmm. with people mm-hmm. and pass forward mm-hmm. what we learn from others so that we can help them mm-hmm. and also help ourselves. That's very interesting because uh, in my profession I see lots and lots of CVs. I can't... Other than people who say, look, this is my one line, you know, I'm looking to achieve a CEO role or whatever it might be, you're right, people don't talk about that. So, you know, in the context of what you're doing, and I want to get back to your life story, but uh, give us an example of if you were working with somebody, how they would articulate that. Okay, well, first of all, you have to really gain clarity around what your big picture really is. Right. Very few people actually can articulate that and don't even really know what it is. Mm. Um, my Having that um, Institute of Sport background and that sporting background, you have to actually visualise every day and every way doing that dive off mm. the 10-metre tower. If you're learning something new for the first time, you want to challenge yourself and you want to move forward, it's very important to be able to visualise where you're headed. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a lot easier to be able to plot your way or using the diving analogy to learn the techniques, build the skills and get the experience to where you're headed. Mm -hmm. So in a career sense, being able to clearly articulate that means sitting down and asking key questions. First one is, what do you want to be known for? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many people don't know what they want to be known for. Mm. For me, I'm a personal brand expert, but it's not really what I want to ultimately be known for. Mm-hmm. What I want to be known for is to be able to help professional women really step into their confidence, to own their voice and be the best they can be so that they can really shine and step up and step out and take life you know, by the hands and really action their dreams. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I do that through personal branding. But in an overall big picture sense, that's what I want to be known for. So when you can really articulate that, that is where you can actually bring people in alignment with your vision if Mm. you're working for a company. Align yourself with companies who share that vision Mm. and tell them that. Mm. I definitely agree with that. I suppose, um, I, I mean, even I would struggle to have a clear vision about where I see my future. 
So let's imagine for the sake of this uh, little dialogue, I'm a 40-something-year-old female finance professional, <laughs> right? And okay, I, I'm uh, right? it right yeah, now. Yeah. I'm particularly hot <laughs> uh, in my, uh, you know, and uh, I come and see you and I say, look, Susie, I, um, uh, I'm excited about, you know, pr- progressing my career. If I didn't know the answer to that question, you know, how would you help to elicit that? Okay, so I, I love this part of the journey and it's, and it's something that everybody should do, mm-hmm. every professional, I believe, to sort of self-evaluate and gain clarity and unlock what and discover your value, your true value, um, outside of whether you're an engineer, whether you're a lawyer, or whether mm. you're a doctor, the value that's underneath that. Mm. The value that's underneath that comes from your story and your journey. Mm. Those unique experiences that only you have had, the challenges, the adversity, the triumphs, the successes, and the hashtag failures. Mm. Because from those milestones in your life, you can dissect how and what you have learned. And when you can then say, I've learned these values from that, I've learned about trust, I've learned about service, I've learned about um, taking risks, I've learned about how to um, overcome enormous obstacles in this way, then it's trying to articulate how you have you how you use that to give your service to others. Mm. So how have you evolved that into making you unique in your service offering? Mm. That is a secret ingredient. When you can learn to articulate that, Mm. that differentiates you from everybody else on the Mm. planet because only you have lived through that experience Mm. and have that process to get to the Mm. other side. So it sounds as though you've got quite a structured method in order to bring somebody from, look, I'm a mum and I've got a good job and I'd like to earn a bit more money because I'm worried about the security of my family or putting my daughter through private school or whatever, you, you would be able to then help them to unpack these things. Absolutely. And I think it's not so much structured as a process because often I fear it's more like coaching them through it because they have the answers in them. They have the answers. A lot of the time, high-performance women just don't have... Their mind is not used to analysing what they've done. A lot of the time I'll say, so tell me about um, you know, when you were um, the counsellor for the local counsellor. Tell me about that experience. Um, or tell me about when something happened at work. What did you do? And they go, I don't know. I just did it. Mm. And I go... Yeah, but let, let's think about it. No, I don't know. I just did it because I just that's what I do. Mm. Like, that's what I do, Susie. And I'm like, okay, I'm asking you to think about it. Mm. Let's actually break it down into a process of how you went from A to B because mm. that intel is your own thought leadership. Mm. Because that's, yeah, that's really fascinating. You know, I've written a book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, and, uh, and uh, people are very... Uh, reticent to share their stories they're very humble they will often deride their successes because of this Australian tall poppy Um, and I can see that if somebody actually went through the exercise prior to going to the market to find a new job to be able to be helped to develop their stories and deliver them with confidence boy that would make them a very compelling candidate for these senior opportunities 
And I think too, at more mature age, people, there's a bit of a stigma. I know um, when I was thinking about looking for different alternate jobs when I was in, you know, coming up to my late 40s, there is a stigma around um, more mature age people going into particularly what I was doing, the digital, digital environment, because mm. there's a, there's a um, sort of a preconceived idea that it's the younger culture that needs to, to be there. And it's also in IT is quite male dominated. So I felt that there was barriers there. And I think back then if I had um, been able to clearly articulate my journey because it's so vast and varied if I had been where I am now and been able to clearly articulate my value with confidence I, th I agree with you I think that would have broken down those barriers mm -hmm. and potentially given me that in that I may not normally have had as a mm -hmm. mature age woman going into that that field mm. so okay great stuff let's go back to uh so you are. Uh, uh, you're a model, you've built your modelling career, you're the face of Coles Meyer. Uh, what happens next? Okay, what happens next? Well, I went into television. So I was doing, um, I was on the Great South East as a mm -hmm. presenter, which was amazing. And I learned a lot about producing behind the scenes and those sorts of things. So I actually started my own TV show and I had with um, Paul, uh, local personality um, advertising agency called Paul and Mura. And back then I had started my own business, um, Susie Lightfoot Communications. So I had a boutique public relations business that mm. worked with um, some of the most high profile property developers in Queensland, such as Mervac, okay. um, Meridian at the time, right. um, Junipers, uh, a whole... Raptus, <laughs> a few old names coming out there. And, how, how the world know, has changed. How the world has changed. <laughs> That's a GFC for you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was putting on some of the biggest events. I launched Portside Wharf for Multiplex oh, Queensland. I bought an apartment off the plan there. Now you must have come. To, did you come to the event? Well, it's a long story, but let me just say I'm not very happy with the capital gain. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> So, yeah, so I was doing that and then I came up with a concept that um, for a TV show, um, which was Queensland's first property lifestyle show. Okay. And I had a section called Urban Images, so I essentially had nine minutes airtime to which to produce um, inner city residential um, property and living. Mm -hmm. And I utilised my client base, which was Mervac and Multiplex and those sorts of thing, things, people to populate that series for me. So I did everything from... I wrote the scripts, I presented, I did the site recce's, like it was a one-shop stop pretty much, and I did that for three years, um, which was which was just fantastic. Um, and then I hit burnout. Mm. <laughs> so after that, um, I sort of took a few years off, yeah. So um, I had a few personal struggles back then, and I just decided that I was not going to work for a little time, and I became an artist. Mm -hmm. So I started to paint. Right. <laughs> and I did that for a little while and I had an exhibition of about 35 paintings Okay. and um, aligned myself with a charity and basically sold about 25 of them, I think. And really, it was a really empowering experience to be able to tap into that creativity mm. and just stop mm. when, you know, sometimes I think people do reach overwhelm and reach times in their lives where they can't see the sky for the clouds mm. and 
sometimes you just have to stop. Mm. I had an interesting art experience on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> I went to the uh, Southern Cross University's graduation uh, art exhibition for the conceptual artists. And as a idiot, you know, uh, Philistine, <laughs> I'm walking through this exhibition and I'm looking at these pieces of art and thinking, this is absolute and utter crap, you know. <laughs> uh, I love art and I can appreciate a beautiful painting, but when it's uh, a reconstructed, you know, um, uh, bunch of coffee cups or whatever, you know, and I just didn't get it at all. But I was um, staying with one of the artists and uh, we started to talk about this whole idea of, you know, it's not the object, it's the... Um, the consideration and the process and it really started to open my eyes just in that short sort of conversation about what art actually means and um, uh, yeah I, ma I imagine for you you know that must have been a very sort of cathartic process. It was a huge release. Yeah. Yeah and I think it was also another challenge because mm. I wasn't you know trained as an artist so basically um, it was a lot of self-discovery a lot of pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and you know a lot of really you got a lot of time to think when you're painting and mm. you're being creative and using that other side of your brain that you may not use enables you then to bring that creativity into your business life and i think sometimes just being able to stop and and be more creative and nurture that side can actually give you a benefit in a business sense as well mm -hmm. so what eventually then led you back into a professional career Oh gosh, you scratch my head and try and think back. Right. Um, I think. Had to think back. Right? <laughs> I probably ran out of money. <laughs> we're, only, we're only talking a few years ago. Oh aren't yeah, I know, I know, but just whirlwind. Um, I think <sighs> after that, um, I decided that I would go and get myself a real job. Yeah. Again, I decided that I didn't want to really have the pressure of as Paris was still at school. I didn't want to have the pressure of chasing chasing bills and and. Um, having that high performance level with clients in terms of having to always find new ones and you know all that sort of thing as, as, as a uh, sole operator. So I went and got myself a real job and I decided at that time I'd still like to nurture the creative side so I thought I wanted to go back into fashion. Okay. And so I started working for a fashion agency um, there and set up their fashion website and also was um, a brand manager for... Mm -hmm some of the biggest fashion labels in Australia and selling those to retailers. And it became a very um, difficult job in a sense because during that period where the GFC happening, we were losing shops that had been in business for 30 years were closing their doors. Mm. So as fast as you could sort of get your labels um, prominent into stores, then we would lose, we would, we were losing stores. It was a really kind of depressing time for fashion. So it was probably not the soundest choice mm. <laughs> to make in terms of a career move um, because there was just so much um, negativity and, and in that environment at the time. Mm. And so what did that mean? Uh, what that meant was I, ne I needed to find a passion again. I just mm -hmm. found that I was, um, that was in around the time that I was having difficulty at work and I found that my confidence was was not where it used to be mm. and i used to remember feeling empowered and unstoppable i remembered mm. that girl who used to dive off the tower yeah and i reflect on her and go who is that yeah. like who is she 
I want to mm. be hurt. Yeah. How but, do uh, I be hurt? I, you know, uh, <laughs> Without diving off the tower. What do they call it? 30 years of scar resume, <laughs> you know. And I think about it, I've just turned 50 as well. And uh, I look back at myself at sort of early 20s and with such ambition and, uh, and you know, where I am now, which is, you know, I've, I've certainly had my uh, share of personal challenges and professional challenges and running a business through the GFC and so on. I mean, life is tough. It, it, it's hard. It's tough. Yeah. So you would have a whole lot of intel to share. And obviously you've written a book, but you probably even got more because as we go through it, we learn more and more and more. Mm. And those people who can learn to share that, mm. it's just a gift. Mm. Um, and I think everyone has it in them. And I just got to the stage where I felt, Susie, you got to find that girl. You're, gonna, you're dying here. Like I was not sleeping. I was having anxiety attacks. Um all sorts of things. It was starting to affect my health. Mm. And I said to myself, you've got to regroup, girlfriend, mm. um, because you're not getting any younger. And unless you want your dreams to slip away, you need to stop, regroup, reset, reboot, and power on, mm -hmm. which is exactly what I decided to do, mm -hmm. fortunately. And really what you're now teaching other people to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just incredible how you can go from... Um, feeling like you're lost or feeling like you're not empowered or feeling like you're not achieving what you want to achieve to feeling unstoppable and just mm. saying, yeah, I've got this. Mm. I've actually got this. And of course, you always have those moments of self-doubt. Mm. You wouldn't be human if you don't. Mm. And you always have that nagging little voice that keeps you real. But I think if you can harness that strength that you had when you were young and you can harness the values that you believe in, and really understand where you're headed and what your dreams are, that's the first step to taking action to get there. And were there particular role models or books or courses or anything you did in that period that helped you to do that? Um, once I started to realise where my strengths lie in terms of creating brands and those sorts of things, because when I left my job, I actually hadn't decided that's what I was going to do. But I did talk to other people. Tracy Mathers is a person that I spoke okay. to in actual fact. Right. Um, and I did go and get myself a mentor. I, and I spoke to um, Jody Bashay, who's known me for years from June Daly Watkins. Mm -hmm. I put it out there. Like I said earlier, you've got to let people know if you're mm. stuck. Mm. People that know you well and that, you know, I'd had relationships with, with these people for years. They knew me. They knew me, that unstoppable girl. And when I... When I opened up to them and said, you know, thinking about oh, quitting my job, you know, like, wow, and, and I'm thinking about, like, I don't really know. They were behind me. They said, 100%, Susie, take that leap of faith. You have it. I remember when you did this, and they, they are great reminders of your strengths. Mm. They are great ambassadors for where you can go. So my advice to people is to reach out, get a mentor, get a coach, or get someone who can help you through that, that process of re-empowering yourself mm. and finding that essence that has, has slipped away, mm. basically. Um, so, yeah, mentors. I, I then decided that I was going to do personal branding because I'd figured out that that's really what I was innately great at in my life um, because I'd done it for so many years. Mm. So I thought, that that's it. That's my niche. And because I had as a woman in business struggled and had my own struggles and challenges and, and things, I felt that I could best help women to really resonate with their stories and, and help them to over um, overcome similar obstacles. 
So that's where that was sort of birthed. And then I started to read everything, everything. I went to um, Sonia McDonald's um, seminars. I went to um, a whole heap of people in my industry. I was, mm-hmm. I was just wanted to know everything. I wanted to connect with everybody. I, I read books, mindset books. Amazing book that for anybody that feels that they're stuck in a rut is called Time to Kick Butt. Okay. By Rosemary Picard. And it changed my life, right. actually. Yeah. Sometimes you find a book that just gives you that aha moment. Right. That snaps your mindset into a new direction. Yeah. And that was it for me. Okay. And I still have that as my Bible. And I've got highlights <laughs> all the way through it. I've got post-its on it. Right. Um, and it really, at times when I feel I may be slipping back, I'll bring mm. that book out. Right. Time to mm. kick butt. Time to kick butt right. by Rosemary Picard. Fascinating funny some of the book. titles of these books now. Like the, what's yeah. the one... Um, the, the importance of not giving an F or whatever. <laughs> have you read that one? No, I haven't, right. I haven't read that That's one. That's actually quite good. Uh, yeah, the uh, this sort of self-help is moving into a, a new arena. <laughs> yeah, 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 those catchy titles. Right. Yeah. And so what's the sort of premise of um, time to kick butt? It means time to k- kick saying the word but. Yes, but. Ah, yes, but. Okay, so not B-U-double-T, just B-U-T. B-U-T. I'm not sure if she spells it with a double T. But it, it, that's what it right. means. So oh, it's about, clever. and she's, and it's um, very interesting read because she was a police officer, and okay. so it talks about, and she's had very much, um, lots of different struggles and challenges in her life. But what I like about it is she bases it around um, fact and 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 how your mind works and about how. Um, you can actually use real life strategies to shift your mindset to get mm. yourself out of a rut and to change the way you're doing things, to mm. change your habits, to create new solutions and new paths forward. Mm-hmm. Um, really amazing book wow. and um, a great read, yeah, as I said. Okay. So uh, you started to talk about, I'm um, uh, you know, just interested in, in the tail end of this conversation, the future. So you're in the branding space now. How do you see that evolving for yourself over, say, the next five to ten years? Five to ten years. Okay, so in the immediate future, I am really wanting to hold some confidence conferences. Okay. Um, so apart from the personal brand coaching that I do with people and the corporate work and the mm. workshops and those sorts of things, my goal is next year is to hold my first conference conference okay. with women in business and to showcase some other inspirational women but also just give some really a really great motivational take for professional women mm. on how to, uh, you know, kickstart mm. their careers and reboot their profiles mm. and to and to just get the confidence to do that. Beyond that, I'm also going to be starting to do a lot more online. Okay. I'm very excited about, because I have that online background, I'm very excited about launching some more resources that are available to people globally, mm. not just here, and mm. sharing what I believe in my message mm. to, to the masses, if right. I can. Um, and also for those people who can't necessarily afford to go along to workshops and to, or the time even to go along to workshops or one-on-one coaching, this is kind of a resource that they can tap into that enables them to um, self-help themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm really into that. Mm. Um, beyond that, for the next 10 years, my big picture, as I said, is to be known for building confidence and, and, and helping people to see the bigger picture. And I see myself on the global stage doing keynote speaking. Right. That's where I really want to be. Sure. Um, and whether, you know, that's what I'm working towards. So everything that I do is to hone my skills in that mm. area 
to listen to people, see how I can better help them and serve them mm. so that that message becomes something which is not only really powerful but valuable to others. Mm. Well, I can certainly see how passionate you are about it. And, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you will be very successful. If people are keen to uh, engage with you, what's the easiest way for them to connect and you know have a conversation? Look, I think the best way is to visit my website, um, susielightfoot.com, because on there, there's some great tools and I'll be replenishing those as well. But um, you can make, I'm, I do uh, free consultations with people just mm-hmm. to give them that um, insight into where they're at. Mm. and um, how they can give them some strategies, mm-hmm. just a conversation really right. to help them, um, whether they want to go and do that themselves or, or whether they would like to work with me. It's completely up to them. Okay. And I also have like a brand strength test, which is on my website, which is a great tool. So I'd encourage everyone to have a go at that because I'm a big believer in starting where you're at. Mm. And in order to build your brand and to take your steps forward to your future, you really have to know where you currently lie Mm -hmm. and get a clear understanding of that. So it's just a free tool for everybody who would like to engage in that and understand a little bit more about their own personal brand. Um, And then if they want to contact me, of course, they can just um, either call me up send me an email or make an appointment online. Right. And yeah. and for the daggy middle-aged male professionals who are incredibly lazy with their <laughs> corporate attire like me. Yes, who, Richard. Well, who, I actually have a couple of I actually have a couple of male clients. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know, I it's a different it's a different um, different set of pain points I call it you know different touch points for them but if they resonate with my message and I can help them of Mm. course I will so I do I do actually have done a few makeovers with um (laughs) with the gents to great success and you know they're a heap of fun oh yeah so much fun I love dragging them around the shops and making them try on clothes and stuff like that but more than that from the aesthetic point of view it is actually aligning that aesthetic with how they're feeling and where they're going and making that the priority for them so they feel good in their threads. All right, right? we'll talk about that offline and, and <laughs> maybe if people see me walking around town in a few months' time, they go, oh, Trixie's really yeah. uh, up the ante, then uh, you'll know it. that Susie's uh, sorted me out. <laughs> I've got well, my magic look, wand. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your time today. Thank uh, you. Have a fantastic afternoon and look forward to uh, you know working with you on a variety of things in the future. Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Richard. Okay. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.